0: Digital Transformation with Jack Marr
1: and Jay Mata. Digital Transformation is about so much more than technology. It's about refocusing on people and value. It's about leveraging technology to build more meaningful relationships and enabling and empowering our associates, building engagement and giving them the tools and opportunity to do what they do best and even do it better. It's about culture, relationships, and tools that can unlock customer obsession in an organization. It drives innovation and responsiveness that propels your organization and delights your stakeholders, creating and building relationships founded on value, creation, and delivery.
0: Welcome to episode five. You know, every single episode just is just so exciting. I, I can't wait to talk about this one and the next one. So. You know, Michael and Katie, a couple of great folks really brought some interesting perspectives to us today.
2: This is pretty cool. And this is this is what's really kind of now getting exciting for me, is because you see how these people specialize in their things. I mean, like for example, Michael, I mean, he's he's big in with the with the cruise industry, you know, yeah. and how he how he works with that and the soccer teams kind of thing like that. So he's really he's carved out a very specific niche mark for him, you know, where Katie She's great and she's so she's got those that years of experience where people are going to really like her she's got a great vibe to her you know she's in she's in the marketing and e-commerce business so they're really gonna get a great value out of talking to her too
0: yeah she was a real a, a real trailblazer doing shoes online before Amazon was doing anything other than books before Zappos even was around so she's been around and really she's still very on point for today I know that uh, audiences enjoy when she comes to speak at conferences. And she's a really interesting and powerful person. I enjoyed that conversation with her quite a bit.
2: Yeah, we're going to enjoy both of them. And they're both very well spoken. Again, they're both entertaining and they got some great stories. And, and I think that everybody's just going to really, again, just like our previous episodes, you're just going to learn about what people are doing in your industry and in your workforce and how they're, how they're creating value and you know what are their specific niches and you know how they're becoming successful in their business so that's pretty cool to see that i, I know because we ask a lot of that same theme of questions with them is you know who do you who do you work with and you know what do you do are you on the sales side are you on the operation side and you, know, you really kind of find out how these people are fitting into this world of digital transformation
0: absolutely we're going to also hear from a couple of sponsors andrew Kinger, is going to be back with a couple of his 20 laws of value creation Welcome to Digital Transformation with Jack Marr and Jay Mata. Today, we've got Michael Daoud with us, who's going to talk about some pretty interesting digital transformation work going on in the cruise industry. Thanks for joining us today, Michael.
2: Thank you, Jack. It's great to be here. Let's dive in so we can get our audience to get to know you. Who are you and what exactly do you do?
3: My name is Michael Daoud, and I am a technology consultant I work for Signature Consultants, currently on contract with Royal Caribbean, and I am working on the digital transformation project that we are having here at Royal Caribbean, which goes by the code name Excalibur. The entire project has to do with basically taking an industry that had little to no connectivity and technological development in terms of apps or even a very good online presence and uh, taking that same company and bringing it into the 21st century with utilization of mobile applications as well as new features and new products that were only possible to be delivered with digital technology.
2: When you talk about digital transformation, it means different things to different people. Can you give us a bird's eye view of how you would explain digital transformation most simplified version that you can share with us from your perspective, how this would benefit somebody and exactly what it means?
3: Digital transformation would not necessarily mean transforming the entire company and the entire company's business model most of the time. What it would mean is specifically adding and augmenting the company's business and existing business using digital technology. And that is done in order to enhance customer satisfaction and usability of the product as well as to keep the company competitive with other companies in the same industry who most likely are undertaking some kind of digital project. For Royal Caribbean, what that means is getting the website and the application into a place where it is comparable to not just an app within the travel industry, but an app that is used every day, such as Uber Eats or DoorDash or any kind of app where any kind of mass market app.
2: Got it. Okay. So your particular role in this project or in any other project, do you generally do the front line, basically acquiring the client first and then, or do you do more of the back office part of it, which is okay. Once the client's already procured, if you would, then do you take a look at saying, okay, now we set up the infrastructure for that?
3: Personally, for me, I have done both, but right now I'm working on the back end of
2: that. Okay. Okay. And so as far as though with new clients and things like that, if they say, okay, well, you know, I love Michael. I like how he sounds and, you know, want to do that. You'd also be able to talk to them and be able to share with them the value of it too.
3: Definitely, definitely. Um, and there's so much value in any kind of digital transformation. And I've done that in other industries such as real estate. It's something that needs to be done and a lot of people are falling behind. And the more you fall behind, the more work it is to get in front.
0: So, Michael, let's talk a little bit about what you're doing with Royal Caribbean right now. I mean, certainly digital and cruise feel like they might be in very different worlds. What is that intersection and why are they doing this and what do they hope to gain?
3: There are multiple intersections. There are some intersections that are purely practical and there are some that are fun. Purely practical would be, I don't know if you know anything about the, the way a cruise works, but once you're aboard the cruise, there are a plethora of activities on board that you can do from trivia to game shows, as well as shows that they have in a theater. And one of them is purely practical, which you look at the activities that are going on during the day on your phone on an application, which previously it was only a paper as well as being able to book shore excursions while you're on the ship from your phone and being able to chat with suite mates without even having any outside internet connection. And we have some that are, you know, totally new and things that could not be possible without digital technology. That would be like we have a bring me a drink feature, which customers will be able to order drinks directly to wherever they're located on the ship. could be by the pool. They could be at the casino playing blackjack. They will press order me a drink and their account will be charged or they will be given a drink based on their drink pass, which allows you unlimited drinks. But, yes, the point is they're able to purchase and have drinks delivered to them to wherever they are on the ship, and this would not be possible without digital transformation and a mobile application.
2: I wonder if we should get that app in our show, Jack. You know, <laughs>
3: <laughs> So when I think about
0: Royal Caribbean, and we're big fans of the cruise industry, I think of someone that's really more on the luxury end of the spectrum around services. Is yeah. that part of this? Is this part of differentiating themselves from other cruise organizations, or is this a catch-up? And is it just an app, or does it go deeper than that?
3: Wow, that's a, that's a big question. Where to start? So, yes, it, it, there is much more to it than just the app
0: Let me break it into smaller pieces
3: and go that way. So so, what's
0: the motivation for Royal Caribbean in this digital transformation? What is the outcome, and how do we believe that this transformation will help them realize their objectives?
3: Well, the cruise industry as a whole has been very behind in the app development and uh, the digital game in general. So this is a bit of catch up. However, I would like to say that Royal Caribbean is not too far behind any of its competitors. And with its current initiative, Excalibur, it is, in terms of design and in terms of, you know, overall functionality, I think it's doing well against its competitors like Carnival. Although Carnival is not the same kind of brand as Royal Caribbean. They are considered a competitor. There are actually three brands in the Royal Caribbean family. They are Celebrity, Azamara, and Royal Caribbean. Azamara would be the more luxury-oriented brand. Yeah, I think Royal Caribbean, where it positions itself, is more in terms of mass market. It is a higher-end brand than many other cruise lines.
0: Let's talk about The target audience for this. We think of cruises, there are many different segments. Certainly some parts of the industry are very focused on folks that are wealthy and probably older, and there are other pieces that are very much focused on the family. It sounds like this is going to be really a better way of engaging the folks on the cruise to have better access and availability of the services with an end result of improving their customer experience and the way they're able to spend the time when they're on the ship as well as maybe leverage greater opportunities for when they're in port and there are other activities.
3: Yeah, I would say that is a great summary.
0: What about age? One of the things that that we frequently see or hear about is this perception that folks of certain groups and I'm thinking specifically of, you know, the baby boomers that the adoption of technology is not necessarily their strongest suit. So is there anything that we're doing here that will help folks feel more comfortable with using the technology?
3: Well, I think that is also a common misconception. I have personally been aboard the ships to troubleshoot with customers using the app, and I find that older clients, they are able to use the app if it's intuitive enough. So I think it has to do mostly with design and creating an app and creating a demo or a sort of instructions on the app if it's complicated for the user to navigate it. But I think it has mostly to do with intuitive design. And the best way to reach those older users is to design an app that a monkey could use. I think um, you're really
0: right. I think that it's the user experience that drives the customer satisfaction and not the intended audience that controls that. I think that's a, a an interesting way of considering this, and I like the way you're thinking.
3: Yep. Yep. Thank you.
2: Definitely, definitely.
3: And one um, one thing I'll add to that is that's another reason why it's so important to be agile and so important to have uh, you know design changes be implemented as soon as they possibly can to keep the app easy to use.
2: So, Michael, going to be people that are going to be listening to the show because they're looking for help and guidance and just, you know, more like how can how can this help their business? Can you give us an idea as a consultant of when you're to work with somebody who would be the ideal client for you that you'd be looking out for that you could say how you'd like to be able to connect with them and how you would reach out to them? Who's that target market that you can really bring value to? A
3: target market for me would be uh, an area where I see, you know, a lack of development. And that area where I see a lack of development, I think is small and medium sized consumer facing businesses. I see, for example, arcades or bowling alleys. I see they could make a few very small additions to their uh, technology suite that would not be extremely cost intensive and they could add a lot of value to their customer experience, for example, just using a mobile app.
0: That sounds great. So how would Mm -hmm. folks find you, Michael, aside from the links that are going to be in the uh, podcast notes?
3: Well, I have a website, michaeldaoud.com. They will be able to find my contact information there, and they can reach out to me.
0: That sounds great. Thank you very much for sharing with us today, Michael. Really appreciate you joining us and helping us walk through how businesses that may not have a real apparent need can leverage this technology for better customer satisfaction.
3: Yeah, of course. It It was great. Thank you so much for inviting me.
2: Yeah, you're quite welcome. You are quite welcome, my friend.
4: Hi, this is Andrew Kingery with the Whitestone Consulting Group. In the next 60 seconds, I want to inspire you to be more intentional and effective at creating value. I'm covering the 20 laws that govern value creation, two at a time. The law of the creator is this. The creator always leads, always. Innovation always moves faster than what behaviors can adopt. It is the creator's responsibility to lead this adoption. If you've ever heard a salesperson get frustrated because the client or customer didn't get it, they're missing the point of this law. And if you are leading change, it's important that you hold yourself accountable to this responsibility. The next law is a big one. It's the law of conflict. The law of conflict states that value cannot be created without conflict. At a minimum, creating new value is in conflict with the status quo. If you don't consider yourself great at handling conflict or prefer to avoid it altogether, I guarantee it's preventing you from creating value. I'm Andrew Kingery, and this is Two Laws of Value Creation in 60 Seconds. If you want to learn more, head over to valuepractitioner.com.
0: Are you leveraging social media in your integrated marketing campaign? LinkedIn has the richest demographics on the planet, enabling you to connect with and build relationships with an audience that is probably looking for you. Let's use a laser focus and get right to the point. We can advise you every step of the way or even do it for you. Drive growth through high quality personal relationships with your prospects and clients the way you've always wanted to. You can find us at standingonshouldersmedia.us or click on the link in the show notes below. That was a, a really interesting conversation with Michael, wasn't it? Now, let's talk to Katie. Actually, uh, I think they're from the same part of the world down in Florida right now. In fact, maybe they're your neighbors, Jay. Let's hear from yeah. Katie.
2: Let's hear from Katie. Yeah, definitely. I'd like to know where my neighbors are.
0: Welcome to Digital Transformation with Jack Marr and Jay Mata. Today we have Catherine Kerrigan joining us from Southern Florida. Welcome, Catherine.
5: Thanks. Thanks for having me.
2: Yeah, you're quite welcome. So can you give us a bird's eye view, who you are and what do you exactly do?
5: Of course. So presently I'm a marketing and e-commerce consultant. I own an agency, KS5 Consulting. We work with a lot of different businesses to introduce new technologies, bring them up to speed, and really at the end of the day, generate more revenue for them using really smart strategic marketing plans. But my background, I've been in the e-commerce digital space for about 16 years. In my early 20s, I started one of the first online footwear companies. This was back when Amazon was still selling books. Everyone looked at the footwear industry and said, there's absolutely no way you can sell shoes online. And I don't know if it was part youthful indiscretion of being my 20s or just having that confidence of knowing and seeing what was to come in e-commerce, I knew it would happen. I knew that's how people would purchase and get data using Google. I just knew of the power. I just believed in it and quickly grew our dot-com business literally on a shoestring budget, went out there and ended up selling it about 10 years later. We had full distribution at the retail level, wholesale level, and as well as our dot-com business. But a lot of what we did was at the very beginning stages of email. There were no email programs, there was no SMS, there was no real path because it was all so new. And that was the really exciting part where we could be a small company and be agile and be able to adapt to Email programs. And if that worked, then we would send out more emails and other strategies, whether it was digital advertising and using old school banner ads. Right. So it was really nice to be that small of a business and test the waters without spending too much money and then pulling back if it didn't work or just putting the pedal to the metal and going through with those channels that did work.
2: So before we get into what you're currently doing right now and your new life since you've grown up, let's call it, right? (laughs) Exactly. I want to, you know, for those entrepreneurs listening in, when you started your e-commerce business, if if we can get a little guidance from you on that piece of it, did you actually buy product and ship or did you ask different wholesalers? So what was that process like? Because I know a lot of people are getting into that or still getting into that a lot today with like click funnels and other types of marketing methods. How did you do it? Did you go to different vendors and say, I'd like to sell your agreement and they would drop ship it for you? Or did you actually buy inventory or a combination of the above?
5: So it ended up being a combination of all of that. In addition to, we went a step further. So I'm very artistic by nature, very creative. And I started sketching shoes. What I wanted in footwear was not available. So I actually was designing shoes. We worked with manufacturers overseas in Spain and Italy. All of our shoes were handcrafted. I mean, that's just a whole separate podcast and (laughs) episode, but... (laughs) Um, we worked with manufacturers and the shoes all went through something like 50 different craftsmen's physical hands before they were produced. and for me I'm six feet tall right and I love fashion and back then there was there was no size 11 shoes for women and I looked at all of the people I looked up to and mentors and all these professional athletes, Gabrielle Reese, who's a big volleyball player, great WNBA players and I'm like and all these other tall women and I'm like, okay how how are there so many tall women and we can't find cute shoes? We would always end up with, something dowdy or frumpy or have to go to the men's aisle for a loafer. It was embarrassing. So I kind of really just took that niche market and went to manufacturers because there was no product available, right? So I went right to the manufacturers and started producing, which was actually quite beneficial for them because a lot of the manufacturing was pulling out of Italy, was pulling out of America and going to China. So they were really hungry for the business. So it was a win-win. And so as we grew, though, I will say, as the company grew, we offered all sizes, we got into clothing and apparel, and when we spoke to different manufacturers and different vendors, it was almost like cold calling and selling yourself. I remember just blindly emailing companies and starting that conversation and picking up the phone and identifying, do they have the same values? Are we on the same page as far as um, finances? Do we agree on general business? And so um, it was a lot of cold calling, and looking back, I was always pitching my business plan So I always knew the metrics. I always said, okay, well, we have X amount of traffic. We're expecting to grow because the last six months have shown that we've grown by X and Y. And we have that, you know, we were big on customer data. Back in the day, we would always send out surveys and talk to our customers about what they wanted. And so that was really our case when we went to different vendors and what ended up being dropship to expand our selection while also generating revenue for the other companies. But at the end of the day, it was always talked a little bit about this. but. It was always a win-win for both sides, both my side and whether it be the manufacturer, the vendor, what have you. It was always, if it wasn't a win-win, it just, we walked away.
0: If it's what not about... a win for everybody, it's not a win for anybody.
2: Yeah, exactly. Do you mind me asking, uh, you did this before, really, all these other internet technologies, SMS and you know, email list management system. How big was your list at that point in time to have created a successful to launch in your business?
5: Sure. How, how big was the list for...
2: For when you were marketing to your potential clients, or emails, what kind of size list were you using to get the word out?
5: Oh, gosh. It was tiny. It was only maybe 3,000 at the very beginning in the first few months, right? It was a small list, but it was such a niche market that our biggest marketing channel ended up being word of mouth, right? So one great customer would tell 10 other great customers. So we were lucky in that, but that was also... Um, we always had to find those key people who were the talkers and loved us and talked us up and wrote great reviews, liked Dollar posts on social media and would do anything for us. So it was a really small market, but we used that, right? So I didn't have a huge budget for AdWords. I didn't have a lot of budget for advertising and whatnot, because in retail, a lot of your dollars go to inventory. So we would do anything to foster our customers. We would have photo shoots where our favorite five customers we'd come in, we'd dress up, we'd have hair and makeup done. And I ended up giving them big portraits of that photo shoot. And a lot of them still have them in their homes and I still have it in my office. You know, that was one of our very many marketing channels was just loving our customers because they loved
2: us. Moving into the present, your experience with the e-commerce, how does that translate into the business you're doing right now? And how do you actually apply it with with your clients? The beauty
5: of running your own business is that you have to wear a lot of hats. But the two most important hats that I wore then that are in my daily life today is that doing the high-level planning, the strategy, being able to have that 50,000-foot view of the business, what you want today, tomorrow, and 10 years, but also doing the daily grind, right? Creating the emails, creating the trigger emails, looking at the remarketing, looking at your analytics four times a day, doing all of that really made me a very powerful executive and I was quickly hired by one of the largest cruise ship companies and a big electronics and appliance retailer down in South Florida because of that. I'm not afraid to get dirty and work hard and do the grunt work of manipulating Excel tables and looking at data and chewing on data until I see optimization techniques but um, I'm also able that I have that vision of okay, What is our our trend line? Are we trending positively or negatively? How can we improve? You know, how does marketing impact operations and what is the impact on the customer service reps who are answering the phone? The meeting of those two hats, if you will, has made me a more confident business person, but also a very powerful asset as I work with other clients today.
0: Having done this before there was infrastructure in place that would support it like we have today with platforms like Etsy where somebody can scale their business. How would you approach it differently today? What would you use in terms of uh, you had a small list and you used email? Would that still be a focal point or even a part of what you do? And think about the approaches and capabilities that we have today. And, you know, what would you think would be the best entry point for folks that would want to bring you on, be prepared to do, and, and you could help them through?
5: Absolutely. Yeah, so I look at the marketing channels that are available today, and we talked a little bit about this. When I started the dot-com, and it was strictly e-commerce, there was no Shopify. There was no WooCommerce or WordPress. There was no Magento. And so we had to invest almost Definitely more than fifty k in just what you could whip up together today in one month's time for less than five hundred dollars or a thousand dollars, right? And and literally that technology came out a year after we paid off our e-commerce infrastructure. Of course, well, yeah. Everything's a blessing, but that that one was a hard one to swallow. So, but get, getting back to your question, marketing channels like email, absolutely, and you have to be smart. I think the biggest thing is that. Business owners today or decision makers today have to be really cognizant of who their customers are, what their company is all about, because what works for one company may not work for another. Right. So in the retail world, yes, spreading content through email, uh, transactional emails, thank you emails, welcome emails, whatever that is. They typically work, but you have to have the right content. And it goes back to the old adage of marketing is all about hitting the right consumer with the right message at the right time. And now in the last 10 years, we add another element to that, and that's hitting them on the right device, right? So absolutely, if I were to start a similar company today, for sure, we would be utilizing email, we would be utilizing AdWords, we would be utilizing digital, and then um, a lot of grassroots as well. And I think as decision makers, it's so easy to get attracted to, quote unquote, the latest technology or the newest Instagram advertising or whatever that is. And there's so many case studies, and every new software company has a case study about why they're successful. that's great, and you can probably learn from that. I think the the lens that you need to put on it as a decision maker is okay. But does that is that relatable to my customer? Is that relatable to the structure of my business? Do I have the manpower for that? Is our master data structured in a similar way? If not, it's just a good read. Um, But if it is, then yes, you can glean something from it. So yeah, I think a lot of the old school principles, and I say old school meaning 10, 15 years ago, are still very applicable today. The devil's in the details. And I'm a big data analytics nerd. And I love looking at emails. Emails in any marketing channel are only as great as, the analytics, right? So if you're looking at analytics and things aren't working, you have to make a change. If no one's opening an email, change your subject line. If no one's clicking through your content, then either your content's not relevant or there's no call to action. So it's, it's only as good as how much you can optimize it.
2: You're also on the speaking circuit and I know you get out there. What do you share with the audiences when you're out there? Is it more about like the long lines of what we're discussing today?
5: It is. Some of it also is sharing my mistakes, right? I think as a small business owner, you want to test the waters, you want to advertise in this magazine or in this medium or with this company or hire a consultant. And sometimes we had to make a lot of mistakes until we kind of learned what was the right path. And, and in my Speaking and engagements. I just love sharing both the wins and the losses because I think you learn so much from failures and and not making the right decision. And that's nice because everyone can relate to that. Business owners are always on the fence of sometimes they wake up in the morning and they say, okay, I need to generate X amount of dollars in, in the next 30 days. How do I do that? Right? And I think... Talking to other business owners and learning mistakes that others have made and listening is kind of a way to circumvent that or at least let them rethink through a decision, whether it be a technology play or changing up and adding a new email program or SMS technology or Facebook advertising or Pinterest or whatever. So, you know, learning and sharing, we're human beings, and I think we live off of stories. That's how we relate to one another. And I think it's just, a, just sharing of knowledge and information, and I get inspired by them, and I think it's vice versa, which is also, again, a great win-win.
0: You hit so many great notes on that around sharing and being transparent, uh, especially of sharing the mistakes that you made, the lessons that you've learned, and helping folks avoid those. Way too often, those presentations that we see at conferences and speakers, it's all roses and sunshine. And it's like, wow, okay, that's great. But what I really need is I need to learn some of those tough lessons. And ideally, not when it's costing me money. So I I just think that's great. And I I appreciate you sharing that. Now, in terms of folks that want you to come and speak, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you?
5: The best way is to just visit our website. It's the letter KS the number five, consulting.com, or find me on LinkedIn, Katherine Kerrigan. And I'll, I'll get in touch with you. Just tell me what you need, what you're looking for. I can speak on a variety of topics, whether it's operations or whatnot, or just general inspiration. And I have a great niche within that small business entrepreneur startup crowd that loves that just inspiring shoestring budget story, which is so great. But yeah, those are the two best ways to get a hold of me. And I think the the one element that I, I never want to leave without sharing is that entrepreneurs and small business owners have that extra gut feel, that element to them that makes them open up the business, that makes them sign a business loan. They believe in something, right? They can see, they can have a vision for something. And I definitely challenge and encourage all the people that I speak to, to follow that. I think that's that extra thing that, you know, that X factor that we have as entrepreneurs. We see something, we believe in something, we feel it, and we feel it so hard, like so, with so much passion that we have to follow through with it. And I'll share one quick story. So I remember being 22 years old, sitting in front of an old school, older white gentleman banker, right? And I was applying for a bank loan. So I had my business plan. It was all, it was all straight. And he said to me, so you're going to go find manufacturers to manufacture your shoes on a website called Alibaba. And he he looked at me like I could have been just bananas. Right. (laughs) And I remember thinking, "Okay, on my business plan, everything was locked down. It was perfect. But the way he looked at me made me really nervous. I was like, oh, no. Wait, is, and Alibaba was not what Alibaba is today, right? It was just a really basic website with a handful of manufacturers in a handful of countries. And so I, I thought to myself, oh God, oh God. And I said, yes, that's how I'm going to do it. And I just confidently took it and ran with it and secured the business loan. But I remember second guessing myself because he looked at me like, like I, had, you know, three eyeballs and the whole gamut, but it ended up being great. And I think that's that intuition that was at this point.
2: Oh, that's a great story. Yeah, at least with three eyes you stood out, so you separated separated yourself from the pack, right? Exactly.
0: Yeah, that's great. We really appreciate you spending some time with us today, Catherine, and look forward to uh, seeing you up on the big stage under the lights.
5: Okay, perfect. Thank you both. I appreciate the the exchange. This was great.
2: Thank you.
5: Appreciate it. Thank
2: you. Yeah, you're quite welcome.
0: Standing on Shoulders, The Leader's Guide to
1: Digital Transformation, written by Jack Maher and Carmen DiArdo. On behalf of everyone who tries to improve the business outcomes of the technology work we do every day, I applaud the efforts taken and the writing of this book so others can replicate their amazing outcomes. This book fulfills the promise of documenting their journeys and lessons learned and showing how the promise of creating world-class technology organizations can be within the reach of everyone. Gene Kim.
0: Get your copy of Standing on Shoulders, A Leader's Guide to Digital Transformation at amazon.com or at Barnes & Noble or at your favorite bookseller. This has been Digital Transformation with Jack Maher and Jay Mata. We sure appreciate you spending your time with us today. Thank you so much.